I'm uh, Pat Victorson. Uh, I am the president of NAMI Prince William. Uh, that's the local affiliate of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So what inspired you to be a part of NAMI? Well, um, it's um, very personal with me, as it is with just about all NAMI members. We are folks with lived experience. So we are people who either have experienced a mental health condition ourselves or have a loved one uh, living with a mental health condition. And in some cases, it's both. Uh, so uh, you could be experiencing a mental health condition yourself, uh, sometimes as a result of your relative's illness, uh, because it's very, very stressful coping with um, someone who has a serious mental illness. Uh, or um, it could be um, you know, part of your journey. Um, also, we know that uh, there's a strong genetic um, element to mental health conditions, so it does tend to run in families. Um, but again, it's a personal connection. Uh, it goes all the way back uh, to um, the 1970s. Um, uh, and uh, my sister, uh, NAMI wasn't founded until 1979. And I very much wish, and I often say this when I'm giving presentations, that NAMI had been around uh, in the early 1970s for my mother who was caring alone for my sister. My sister was a very bright young woman. She had just started a master's degree program. Um, she was a talented musician, uh, very popular. She'd been one of the cheerleaders in high school, all that sort of thing, just uh, you know, on a, on a great track to success uh, when she was struck by uh, a mental health condition. Um, back then, uh, because of the stigma um, my mother never told my husband and I that she was coping with my sister's illness. My husband and I were serving overseas in the military, and my mother didn't reveal it uh, for several years um, that she was dealing with this on her own as a widow. So um, I very much wish that NAMI had been in existence back then, um, not only to break down the stigma, but also provide support for family members. Um, NAMI, uh, again, we serve folks living with a mental health condition and their families. And we know that folks with a mental health condition are at least 50% more likely to recover from that condition if they have the support of their family members. So um, again, it goes all the way back to my sister. Uh, and then uh, it also, uh, my personal um, uh, connection, most immediate connection with NAMI grew out of my son's mental health condition. Uh, because he also uh, has a diagnosis. Um, and uh, I was just desperate um, for years trying to find support and understanding uh, from the schools, um, from the um, medical um, uh, system. Um, and uh, I just wasn't getting it. Uh, and finally, a friend of mine turned me on to NAMI. Uh, I enrolled in a family-to-family -family course, which is NAMI's signature education program, and um, it just um, opened up everything for me. It just made a huge difference because suddenly I was in a room with people who were coping with the same things that I was dealing with. And um, as a result of that um, uh, class, I decided I was going to become a family-to-family -family teacher myself. And uh, I just kept getting more and more involved with NAMI. So that was back in 2008. And uh, I've been um, more and more engaged with NAMI uh, since then because I've just seen the difference is made in so many people's lives. I um, received so many uh, thanks from folks 
who have benefited from our programs, whether it's educational programs, support programs, um, uh, our helpline, uh, or advocacy. And you said about family, family, and you also do peer-to-peer. -peer. I live with uh, bipolar disorder, too. And the biggest thing that helps me is hearing other people's uh, experiences and succeeding. Uh, do you feel that way, too? Oh, absolutely. And um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, my husband and I also um, uh, facilitate a, a family support group. And that's what we hear uh, from family members all the time that, uh, you know, they're really discouraged, they're really down. And um, um, while they'll see and hear that things may not be perfect for us and our son, who also has that bipolar diagnosis, um, um, they come to understand that while we can't solve all problems, uh, we can uh, make a difference. And um, uh, we have principles of support in our support groups that I think uh, help people come to terms with mental health conditions and um, help them find ways of um, coping and advocating for their loved ones. Uh, and the same thing with our peer groups. Um, you know, again, people find support and hope in knowing that other people are coping uh, with um, uh, mental health conditions and that um, uh, there are ways of dealing with it uh, that we may not have thought of, but when we get together with other people, uh, we um, uh, hear things from a different perspective. Maybe um, someone shares an idea and you can say, hey, you know, that might work for me. Um, it's uh, like a light going off for folks. Uh, so I think, um, you know, this the mutual support and uh, the educational programs are really very, very helpful. Uh, and then we're expanding greatly. Um, we have a whole variety of new NAMI programs uh, that are um, being developed and that we're offering um, to meet the needs of special populations. Uh, so um, um, for example, um, we have a new program that we've just started here in Prince William called NAMI on Campus because we know that youth outreach is very important. Uh, so many families are concerned about um, uh, rising mental health statistics about uh, around uh, youth and mental health. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control have talked about um, the uh, great increase, particularly in young women uh, who are experiencing serious mental health conditions uh, with suicidal ideation, uh, and uh, extreme anxiety, depression, other situations. So I think people are very concerned about our youth in one way that we are now, um, we've just started this program um, in high schools. Previously, NAMI on campus was available on college campuses, uh, but this is new. This is the first year we've been able to offer it in, in uh, high schools. In fact, I'm going to be going to a high school uh, um, uh, uh, next, uh, uh, next week. Uh, we'll be meeting with uh, a new club uh, that has started at Woodbridge Senior High School, and they have just been going gamebusters with uh, programs to support other uh, youth in the school. Um, NAMI on campus, it's not a support group. It's not, um, um, uh, it's really a, a school club uh, around um, or um, organized by young people who are interested in um, the topic of psychology and mental health, but who are uh, keen to serve uh, their fellow students by offering encouragement and programs uh, in their school uh, to support mental health and raise awareness. 
Um, so NAMI on campus, uh, again, is a new program. We're talking to other high schools in the area about establishing uh, clubs at their schools. And I have a small grant uh, to help uh, support part of that. Uh, we also have Ending the Silence uh, that's geared toward youth. Uh, we have uh, three versions, one for um, folks living with a middle or uh, rather for middle and high school students. So for students, uh, we just uh, finished doing uh, four sessions for um, Manassas Park High School for uh, students in their ninth grade PE program. So that was 136 students that we presented oh. to over four sessions. Um, and um, we hope to expand that. Uh, but again, we, we are an all volunteer organization right now, and it really depends on finding um, new presenters all the time. So we are looking actively for young adults defined as someone between the ages of 18 and 30 uh, who would like to become one of our presenters for that program. Um, the other version of Ending the Silence is for family members, for parents. And then we have a third version for school staff because although most uh, schools may have a social worker or perhaps um, uh, a mental health worker on, on staff, uh, some many most of the counselors have some mental health background. The school staff overall uh, has not had mental health education, and uh, this program, uh, the Ending the Silence for School Staff, is designed particularly for the classroom teacher, for the coach, for the um, uh, classified staff, for the office staff, for the cafeteria workers, for the janitors, for the bus drivers for other folks who, who uh, work with youth but don't have that mental health education as part of their background. Uh, so um, that's another um, version of Ending the Silence. And um, besides NAMI on campus and Ending the Silence, we also have a program called uh, Children's Challenging Behaviors. And that is for uh, parents of children. So it's, it's for people like me you know, whose son became ill um, while in, uh, actually in elementary school. Uh, and um, I really needed support. Um, I had no idea what was going on. Um, no one else seemed to know what was going on. <laughs> you know, the teachers and the school staff, they seemed clueless or, um, you know, when it came to um, 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 uh, school success, my son was very bright and, um, the school counselors were more concerned about getting him into college than they were with addressing the problems that he was having at school. Uh, so um, again, it's very personal for me. So um, uh, Children's Challenging Behaviors is for parents like me who um, uh, have children between the ages of zero. So we start very young because very young children can have mental health conditions up to age 17. So school-aged children, we actually do go up to age 20 because we know that some um, uh, children have uh, special needs and they may be in school for a longer period of time. Uh, but we've offered, um, we're going to be offering our fourth Children's Challenging Behaviors actually this coming Saturday and it will be our first program on uh, Children's Challenging Behaviors in Spanish. Uh, the other ones that we have been uh, doing uh, were in English. And um, we are the only affiliate in the state of Virginia currently offering programming in Spanish. Uh, so one of our focuses is um, really uh, trying to do outreach to those underserved communities, uh, including um, newcomers. Uh, so. Um, we have a small grant from the Virginia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, and we've used that to bring an AmeriCorps member 
to Prince William County and to Milne. And her, she um, has um, uh, a background um, uh, being the child of Afghan immigrants to the United States. Uh, she speaks Dari at home. Dari is the third most spoken language in Prince William County school homes. And so we are uh, trying to do outreach uh, to the Dari speaking community now. Uh, so um, again, uh, we have a lot of Afghan refugees uh, coming into Prince William County. Uh, so that is another interest of ours. So I could go on talking <laughs> about a lot of different programs. Um, um, uh, I don't know if you want me to continue in this vein. Uh, we have another new program that we're planning to introduce um, this summer, and it's called NAMI Hearts Plus Minds, and it is a holistic health program. So um, uh, people we know who are living uh, with chronic pain uh, chronic health disorders such as heart disease or diabetes, um, uh, people who are um, um, suffering with uh, obesity and other conditions, but people who in general are just concerned about their health. Uh, we know that um, these health concerns can also produce mental health concerns as well. So this is a holistic health program uh, addressing again, concerns of folks with chronic pain, with chronic um, illnesses, um, but it also incorporates a lot of information about nutrition. We know how important nutrition is um, to support our health in general, but especially for folks with mental health conditions. Um, and then um, coping strategies, um, mindfulness, other techniques. So this is a new program, again, a holistic program. And we're hoping um, that this will be um, uh, um, an open door for folks who may not uh, feel they have a mental health condition, but maybe um, maybe there is something there. And uh, we hope that they'll come to hear about our holistic health program, but that um, those who come uh, may also recognize that they have a mental health condition that would benefit from treatment as well. Uh, so that's a new program. Um, another new program that we would like to start here, again, um, a lot of this depends on recruiting adequate volunteer base. So uh, lots of programs we could offer if we have the volunteers who are stepping up um, to assist with these programs. So that's NAMI Homefront, which is specifically for veterans and their families. Another one is NAMI Provider, which is a program um, to educate medical professionals, just like school staff don't get a lot of education about mental health. Most doctors, most physicians don't have um, a large, um, you know, they'll have maybe one class on mental health or a, a segment of their education on mental health. Um, but uh, we know that primary care providers and um, hospital emergency room doctors and staff are often the first line for um, mental health treatment. And we wanna make sure that they have um, adequate education, uh, particularly from the peer perspective uh, so uh, hearing from people who have that mental health condition so that the medical providers know what's going to, to help them, um, as well as the importance of working with family members. Um, this particular presentation, NAMI provider has three presenters. So a peer, someone who um, has experienced the, the medical system uh, as a person with a mental health condition so that um, you know, the medical providers can hear from the peers, the folks that they're serving. 
uh, from the family member who wants to be engaged in helping um, their loved one recover. And then the third person is actually a mental health professional who has uh, some lived experience, whether that person had um, perhaps a mental health condition themselves or has a loved one with a mental health condition. And having that mental health professional, uh, of course, um, lends a great deal of weight to this program because they're hearing from a medical professional as well. So um, this is another program that we're hoping to begin um, training our volunteers in February and then being able to offer that, um, that program in the community um, in the near future. So for me, uh, similar to your story, I get, you know, treatment for my mental illness, but it also affects my wife and kids every day. How important is it for them to have a support system as well? Um, tremendously important. I, I talked about uh, my experience with my, uh, my son um, and um, then, um, you know, years later, after I became a teacher, I got my husband to take the class. And so uh, he had a much better understanding after that of uh, what our son was going through and how we could help him. Um, and then he became um, an army support group facilitator, as I mentioned. Uh, so, um, you know, once you see the benefits, um, that's why we, we often say, you know, come and see. Uh, yeah. We have, in fact, we have a new family to family class that's starting this coming Monday. Um, so, um, you know, folks who want to take advantage of that, that's an eight session course. It's taught by family members uh, who have loved ones with a mental health condition. And again, all of our, our volunteers are there uh, with lived experience. So, our peer presenters, and we do have a, um, a connection support group, which is specifically for folks living with the mental health condition. Uh, and then uh, we have family support group, both in English and we have a Spanish speaking group as well uh, for the family members. Um, and it's an opportunity for family members to come and uh, talk about um, what they're dealing with right now. We try to keep those groups in the here and now. It's not about hashing over, um, you know, oh, I wish I'd done this or that or the other thing, but it's, you know, let's see what we can do right now. What are you coping with right now? Do you have um, particular problems that you're dealing with? Uh, um, you know, do you need uh, referrals to services? Um, uh, do you want to just hear about how perhaps other family members have coped with a similar situation? You know, that benefits folks um, because when you hear that, oh, so-and-so um, uh, was, you know, coping with um, um, difficulty in dealing with, um, um, pull something out of a hat, um, you know, all of a sudden um, my son's medications aren't working anymore. And, you know, he's he's decompensating. I'm seeing, you know, signs of, of difficulties again, and we're having a terrible time, you know, getting an appointment, all this other sort of thing. So, um, you know, helping families with things like that, um, um, explaining um, new services that are available in the community. That's something we really try to keep folks updated on, like the new crisis receiving center that will be coming, uh, like the new 988 um, number that's replaced the National Suicide uh, Crisis Lifeline number. Um, so um, again, um, you know, helping family members understand what their loved one is going through, uh, developing empathy and understanding um, especially, you know, for folks with um, a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, 
who uh, may have a manic episode or a psychotic break. That's really hard for families to um, understand. Yeah. And that's, again, that we like, uh, that we try to convey, um, you know, what the reality is for the person living with the mental health condition. That is their reality. And you can't talk a person out of something that, you know, is really um, 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 a clear and present reality for them. them. The best thing that you can do is say, um, you know, I think you must be going through a very difficult time. Uh, can you tell me what I can do to support you? What can I do to help you and be there for that person? So not trying to reason someone out of what, what is their reality, but being there and being supportive and saying, I'm here for you and tell me what what you're experiencing and what I can do to help you. And with the Crisis Receiving Center coming to Prince William County, the county has an extra focus on mental health care. How does something like the center help your mission? Oh, uh, it's it's just tremendous because um, we have, uh, as you say, we have a helpline. Uh, we have uh, the support groups uh, and the educational programs and families always come to us with uh, horror stories about um, the needs of their family members not being met. Uh, the same thing goes for peers who have um, sometimes terrible outcomes because of misplaced um, responses to their crises. It could be a response from the police. It could be a response, um, a negative response in a hospital emergency department. Um, and that's why um, this provider education is important. That's why we assist with crisis intervention team training for police. Um, and there have been uh, great improvements in Prince William County. Um, so the fact that our officers and um, jail staff and others um, who um, uh, interact with folks with mental health conditions in the criminal justice system. Um, we have um, an excellent um, crisis uh, uh, intervention team training that's um, done by the county and we participate in that. Uh, and there is now a co-responder team uh, in the county, uh, which a mental health professional from community services rides along with um, a police officer as backup. But again, it's the mental health therapist who is the lead on responding to a call. Uh, and then, of course, more serious situations where weapons um, and uh, imminent threat of suicide are involved, where uh, police response is still called upon. Um, but um, we know that um, sometimes those outcomes are not good. You know, it still may end in, in suicide, tragically. Uh, we've had cases um, involving uh, adults and youth a lot uh, alike. Um, but um, uh, the Crisis Receiving Center concept is part of SAMHSA's um, National Crisis Now model. So SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. And they have come up with a national model called Crisis Now, and it addresses mental health concerns across a continuum. Uh, we call these intercepts. So um, sometimes the you know the first level will be simply something someone uh, seeking assistance uh, information, um, and um, 988 is uh, a service that can provide basic information and referrals. Um, uh, the next level uh, is let's say there's something actively going on and the person can't get 
an appointment with a doctor. Um, uh, so a mobile crisis unit, and there are two types of crisis units that are available that can come to people's houses. Um, and that uh, obviates the need for calling police. So many families are happy about that. Um, and um, then the next level, of course, is a co-responder team. And then um, um, sadly, um, sometimes it does require that police response. But the neat thing about this crisis receiving center is that even though our community services is trying to um, offer what they call same day access, it's still very hard to get uh, an appointment right away. Uh, and um, you may know, um, um, your family may know that sometimes you really have to strike while the iron is hot. And if you have a family member who's willing, you know, if I got the point where, hey, I really do want to do something about the way I'm feeling, you know, um, please help me. And um, you can't get an appointment and you can't get in to see community services, um, uh, which is our, of course, our first line governmental response agency. Um, uh, I've been through situations like this. Um, um, you know, um, I had we had an incident uh, experience a number of years ago in which we had to wait in desperation after our son had been arrested, actually. Uh, and we were still trying to get mental health care. Even though he'd been arrested, we still couldn't get him care. And we finally found um, a doctor who would take him. His situation was complicated because he not only has bipolar disorder, but co-occurring substance abuse issues. And at that time, most, um, uh, for example, um, the hospital, uh, Prince William Hospital in um, uh, Manassas would not treat anyone with a mental health condition who had co-occurring substance abuse issues unless they had been substance-free for six months. So the hospitals turned us away. And I finally found a doctor up in Arlington who was willing to see him, but it took six months to get an appointment. So we were just on tenderhooks trying to keep our son out of the criminal justice system um, and out of um, um, a total breakdown, um, a crisis uh, for six months, and we were not successful. It was it was a horrible, horrible time. Um, so. This crisis receiving center means that my family in that crisis mode back in 2010, we would have been able to take our son directly to a crisis receiving center and they would see him right away. We would not be turned away. It would be an open door. Um, it's just, it would be life-changing for families like ours. And I know that we are not the only ones because I hear from people all the time about the crisis, um, crises that they're dealing with. So that crisis receiving center means that my family could bring our son in, um, that um, an individual could walk in off the street and say, hey, you know, I run out of my medications. I'm, I'm decompensating, things are getting awful for me. What can I do? And they will have a pharmacy on site and can provide uh, the medications that the person needs and the support that they need um, to, to stabilize. Um, also, if uh, that individual, um, we know that um, we have two so-called crisis assessment centers. One is at Sudley North and one is at the Ferlazzo building. That's another place where police can drop people off. Um, but uh, they only have capacity one, for one person at a time. And they, it's only short term, it's a, no more than 23 hours. And if they can't find a place to treat them, a hospital uh, bed, um, you know, 
the person is is gone again. Uh, police are so excited about this crisis receiving center because instead of taking people either to jail um, or to the ER and waiting for days in an ER, because we know that ERs use triage, they're going to treat the person who is bleeding, has a heart attack, a stroke, broken bones first. Um, the mental health condition, because they're not presenting with that physical um, uh, condition uh, initially. They may be, but not usually. They're going to wait for sometimes days. And if the police brought them in, the police have to wait there yeah. days. And so our police are very happy um, that um, they're going to be able to get their officers back on the street because instead of taking them to the ER uh, or um, um, or to jail, they can take them to the crisis receiving center, uh, drop them off at a separate entrance, and um, uh, within five minutes be able to get back to their their real job uh, and uh, be back on the street serving our um, our residents here in Prince William. I'm not sitting in a hospital ER with uh, a person with a mental health condition. So we are very, very excited about it. Um, we know that it's not going to be um, resolving all problems because uh, we still don't have enough long-term uh, mental health beds in the state of Virginia. Um, the state has um, uh, a big problem. Uh, and I know the one hospital that does have uh, mental health beds here in Prince William, which is uh, now UVA Health, uh, they are not able to operate at um, capacity uh, because of the severity of the um, patients that they are receiving now. Um, these are patients who previously would have been um, admitted to a state hospital for a forensic um, uh, clearance, uh, forensic uh, care, and the state hospitals are are overwhelmed as well. So again, it's it's um, the crisis receiving center for folks with serious long-term mental health conditions. It's not gonna resolve all of their issues. And it's not gonna resolve all the long-term issues that we have in terms of housing. Yeah. So we, we have a huge need for permanent supportive housing for folks with very serious mental health conditions. Um, because um, you know, not everybody is like you who is living in recovery. There are some folks who um, will have lifelong difficulties because um, their mental health condition has affected them cognitively uh, and they're not able to hold down a job uh, or um, you know, function without support. So uh, we have a huge need for permanent supportive housing. Um, that's a great unmet need. So their um, crisis receiving center will resolve all of our problems, but boy, it will help um, some major problems. So that's why we've been act, um, so very actively advocating for it. Uh, um, our um, Board of Supervisors have uh, seen how important this is. They've heard from the police, they've heard from the Hospital Association, they've heard from Community Services. And another great organization that has joined our advocacy is uh, VOICE, which stands for uh, Virginians, organized for interfaith community engagement. So, um, and that's composed of uh, congregations, mosques, uh, and synagogues. Uh, so faith leaders who um, have been stepping up uh, along with their congregations uh, to demand um, better mental health services for everyone. So uh, again, it's been a big coalition coming together. Uh, the advocacy efforts uh, are not complete. 
Uh, we're still um, trying to get uh, an additional $2 million in funding for the youth wing at our crisis receiving center. And then we'll need to make sure that both the state and the county provide ongoing funding uh, for that crisis receiving center. But we're very excited about it. So pleased that the county purchased uh, the building in which the crisis receiving center will be housed and that the county will be able to co-locate other um, agencies that will be serving uh, folks with mental health conditions in the same building. So crisis receiving center uh, is um, just uh, uh, wonderful, not, not the cure to everything. We need a cure for mental illness. Right. <laughs> That's what we really need. But, um, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a big step in the right direction. And I'm so pleased that all these advocates have, have pulled together uh, to support it. Um, uh, Prince William County can be proud of itself. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about programs helping students. Have you seen students be more open just talking about mental health than adults? Oh, I, I think they are. I think they're much more more open. Um, um, you'll see, still find um, uh, special populations. Uh, and by that, I mean um, um, perhaps newcomer populations. Um, certain cultures are in denial still about mental health. Um, and um, uh, that can extend to the African-American population, our Spanish speakers, um, uh, other newcomers in which... Um, you know, the countries that they come from, mental health simply isn't a, a concept. Um, and um, uh, it's handled very differently um, than it is in this country. Um, um, folks may be in denial about it, um, but, uh, uh, you know, there's a great deal for uh, need of education for those communities. But I think um, uh, on average, young people are much more open uh, to uh, discussing mental health. So, um, I think uh, establishing these NAMI on campus clubs uh, is a great step. We're uh, concerned overall though about uh, youth wellness and um, uh, there are a number of problems that are um, perhaps not necessarily directly related to mental health, but we have uh, issues about um, youth um, um, economic insecurity in families where youth have to go out and work as well as go to school and sometimes work takes the priority because they, they have to bring an income home. There are a lot of families in which youth are taking on huge responsibilities, taking care of, of younger uh, siblings when um, their parents have to go out to work, um, uh, issues with uh, truancy, um, just um, a whole raft of, of issues um, that youth are dealing with. Uh, that includes sadly gun violence um, and uh, violence in the schools. So I think um, that's another area where um, it's not just mental health, but it uh, can be, you know, um, there is a, there's an intersection there um, between mental health and wellness and, um, and some very alarming youth behaviors that we're seeing today. So um, that's another area that um, we're hoping to um, um, work on. And uh, in fact, I'm going to be meeting with someone this afternoon on that very topic. So we, we have ongoing community um, um, conversations. We have some coalitions uh, in this county in which we participate. So the Prevention Coalition, which is Mental Health and Substance Abuse, um, 
And uh, so that uh, is a very active ongoing coalition. We also have a Greater Prince William Healthcare Coalition. Um, uh, we are partnering, as I said, with VOICE, Virginia's Organized Interfaith Community Engagement. Uh, we're also um, uh, finding uh, a great partner in um, some of the uh, African-American uh, sororities, the Divine Nine, um, such as uh, Delta Sigma Theta, uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Alpha, Kappa Alpha uh, and others. Um, some of the uh, men's organizations now are stepping up and they are fabulous partners. So uh, actually we're gonna be working with Delta Sigma Theta uh, for a new outreach to the African-American an African ancestry community called Sharing Hope. Uh, and that is um, um, a faith-based uh, orientation, um, but we're going to be partnering with Delta Sigma Theta to offer that in the uh, greater Prince William area. Wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. How can people uh, reach out and learn more? Well, um, um, uh, we have a helpline. I'll have to say it's, it's just a message-taking service. Uh, but um, uh, we have an email address, we have a website. Um, so our email address is info, I-N-F-O, at NAMI, N-A-M-I, dash P-W, dot O-R-G. And they can address questions there. They can look on our website, which is NAMI, P-W, dot O-R-G. Uh, and um, I'm happy to... Um, you know, for folks who contact us, I'm, I will give out my personal phone number and uh, I do respond uh, personally um, to, uh, to calls that we receive. Again, uh, our family to family course, uh, which is starting this Monday. Um, and we'll, we have ongoing classes throughout the year. Um, 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 you know, we invite people uh, to that. The information is on our website. Or people again can contact us at the uh, the NAMI email address. Um, but uh, we are also very present at local resource fairs. In fact, we're doing three re resource fairs this week alone. Oh wow! Yeah. So we did the uh, Martin Luther King Day, the uh, at um, the oratorical contest at uh, Colgan High School. We're going to be at uh, Osborne High School on Wednesday. Uh, for uh, Officer T.J. Rodriguez's um, E3 parent um, program. And that topic will be anti-trafficking um, and uh, another very um, serious topic. Uh, but we will have a resource table there because um, traffic and mental health sadly also um, you know, overlap. Uh, and um, then we will be at uh, the Ferlazzo building in, um, in um, Woodbridge on uh, Thursday uh, for a re-entry connections uh, meeting. And that is um, to support uh, folks who are re-entering society from our jail. So we also work with, uh, with our jail. We work with um, the um, program called Divert, which is jail diversion. Uh, we work with probation and parole. So just any, any organization that intersects with um, mental health. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to be there. So um, we also have uh, another uh, outreach. Um, I mentioned that we have a, a Dari speaker, an AmeriCorps member, and uh, part of her project is to um, create a newcomer parent outreach program. And we're working with Prince William County Schools and um, uh, with uh, local mosques and other organizations. Uh, on that outreach uh, to those newcomer families. 
So, well, one is, <laughs> oh yes, please. Yeah, just, uh, but again, we we are, um, uh, apart from our, our AmeriCorps members, she receives a small stipend and uh, she's been wonderful. We're, we're just thrilled to have her. Um, but we are an all volunteer organization and uh, we, we depend on donations uh, because our programs, even though we're volunteers, they, we have a lot of expenses. Um, uh, when we do our um, uh, children's challenging behaviors programs, we try to make it as easy as possible for parents to attend. So we provide free meals and we provide on-site childcare and that costs money. <laughs> and uh, we have fortunately partners who often provide space for free, but sometimes we do all, all, also have uh, uh, fees that we have to pay for um, uh, room use, that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, we need donations, but we need volunteers uh, and we need a deep bench of volunteers. And we particularly need youth volunteers between the ages of 18 and 30. And we need peers. We need a bigger peer voice. Uh, so folks who are living with that mental health condition, but who are in recovery, uh, we really need them um, to um, step up and volunteer as well for our peer programs.